All right, let's see if we can find our way back to our seats. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. What the heck? Good morning. Sun is shining. The birds are blooming. The flowers are singing. It's beautiful. So turn to your neighbor and say, shh. It's a beautiful thing. Hey, um, as I was uh, standing next to her mom this morning, I was thinking, as Ashley was sharing, that I'm incredibly tempted to just throw out what I <laughs> planned to do this morning, although I think the boss would fire me if I did that, because then he'd be scrambling next week. Um, because that thought of being dry in your walk, and I know some of you have heard me talk about this before, that is one of my all-time favorite topics. Um, because, in my experience as a Christian, when you go through that dry place, God is confirming what he communicated to you in your emotions and in your heart. Because what he's doing, I, think in meta, I tell stories, I think in metaphors. Here's my metaphor. Grace and I love Palm Springs. Palm, you know, we love to go there like in February, right? Get out of here, go to Palm Springs. And um, one of the cool things about driving to Palm Springs, we usually fly into Ontario, Grace's sister lives close by, and then we either borrow a car or rent a car, and then we drive into Palm Springs. And about a few miles outside of Palm Springs, there's this really cool billboard, and it shows like a hotel and a pool, and people are sitting by the pool, and the sun is shining, and it's awesome, and it's, you know, five miles to Palm Springs, and it's the signpost that points you to your ultimate destination, right? I love that billboard, because you're almost there. Think how stupid it would be to go to that billboard, park your car, get your chair out and your suitcases and whatever, and camp under the billboard. You're never meant to camp at the sign. You're meant to go to the destination. We are not meant to worship the gift. We're meant to worship the giver. But so often we focus on the gift. I feel so wonderful. God is so real to me right now. I could cut it with a knife. Oh, this is awesome. I feel so wonderful. Jesus is on his throne. And then God says, yes, I am. And yes, I have work for you to do. So now let's confirm that fact when you don't feel it. When it's not based on your emotions. Because God created us. When we're created in God's image, we are created in God's image fully. I don't think you know, God just has a nose and eyes and arms and whatever. Maybe he does um, for us, for our sake. But when, we, when it talks about being created in God's image, I believe we're, that our DNA uh, contains the essence of God. I think DNA is like a wonderful, wonderful proof of God, frankly. And the fact that we are created as emotional creatures, um, emotion is, is something, I mean, love is... Well, love is more than an emotion, but love you know, can be an emotion. But God is a, is a feeling God. God is an expressive God. He's implanted that in us as well to communicate to us through our emotions. But he also gave us an intellect, didn't he? We're not just emotional creatures that operate off of our emotions. In fact, I don't know about you, but when I operate off my emotions, that's usually when I get in trouble. And so the balance to that is our intellect. That balance of our emotions and what we feel strongly, and then the reason, 
and the ability to decipher and intellect and discern, which is one of the greatest gifts of the Holy Spirit, to do discernment. So when I hear somebody say, I'm so dry in my walk right now, I'm having a hard time feeling the presence of God, I get excited because that means he's confirming something. So if that's where you are in your walk, it's miserable. And Ashley talks about, um, you know, search, brain, you know, about mind surgery. Um, I've been through that. Mine was a little bit more of a jackhammer than it was a scalpel. To tell you the truth, some of you guys know that story. I won't bore you with it now. Someday I'll, I'll share that testimony with you again. But yeah, I got jackhammered real good um, by God many, many years ago. Best thing that ever happened to me. Worst thing that ever happened to me. You know what I mean? In my... The fact that, would you ever want to go through that again? No. Was it the best thing that happened to you? And was it absolutely necessary? Yeah. Yeah, it was. For him to confirm and do what he needed to do. I've shared with the Teen Challenge guys uh, Thursday at the house. We had a great meeting together. And I told them, I said, God will break you to rebuild you. He breaks you to rebuild you. And what your job is to find out what is that rebuilding. And then when he breaks you, he heals you. And when he heals you, he leaves you with scars, not wounds, scars. A lot of our wounds are self-inflicted. Most of our wounds are self-inflicted. Scars are the evidence of healing. You guys have heard me talk about that before. Another one of my favorite topics. All that to say, we are complex organisms, and God has created us that way. We are multifaceted, and... Um, so I'm going to get off that topic and get on to Second Peter. <laughs> but I just had to say that, that, Ash, thanks so much for being vulnerable and sharing that. If there is a Christian that hasn't gone through the dry time and you've walked with Christ for any period of time, I want to meet you. I've never met one yet. It's one of his greatest, most powerful moves in our life is that dry time. Because that's when we have to decide do I, where we employ our intellect, do I believe do I truly believe, even though I don't feel it, I don't have that energy, do I truly believe? Now, this is actually a great segue into what I'm going to talk about. We're going to be in 2 Peter, excuse me, yeah, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, if you want to follow along. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this all the way through, and then we're going to talk and we're going to go back at, at, uh, and look at some specific things here, okay? So this is, again, uh, 2 Peter, verse 1. Chapter 12, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. What things? We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son who I, who I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 
Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for a prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a little... I don't like math, by the way. My son is uh, in school studying physics right now. Oh, my gosh, man. And he'll, uh, he'll do his uh, equations his whiteboard equations, and then he sends my wife and I pictures, and we just go, we just go, good job, because it's just, as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's just gobbledygook. Um, but we're going to talk a, a little math, some equations today, and let me give you an equation. Faith plus foundation is firm. Faith plus foundation equals firm. Faith minus foundation is foolishness. Let me say that one more time. Faith with foundation is firm. Faith without foundation is foolishness. We exercise faith all the time in our lives. And a lot, most of the time, again, as believers or as people of faith, we think of faith in terms of you know, our relationship with God. But when you sat down in the chair you sat down in today, you exercise faith. That chair was going to hold you. Now, was your faith based on a firm foundation? You didn't even think about it, did you? Because you've sat in these chairs before. You've seen other people sit in these chairs. Your faith had a foundation. That chair was going to hold you, and it did. Your faith had a foundation. I don't think we ever exercise more faith than when we drive or exercise other things. We shouldn't exercise when we drive, probably. But when you think about the fact that we are, you know, in this multi, you know, pound vehicle flying at, you know, incredible speeds at each other, separated by that, you know, that perfectly safe yellow line that, you know, you're three feet from the other car that's going 60 miles, ah, you know, there's nothing to it. And, you know, you just do your driving. I mean, we exercise so much faith when we drive. It's crazy, but what is the foundation for that faith? Well, the foundation for that faith is that there are rules that are rules that are enforced, rules that are taught, rules that are equally beneficial to another driver as it is to me, because after all, none of us really want to crash into each other. And, uh, you know, but when I'm, I don't know, there's some, there's some lights in this area. Like, I'll tell you, with this light right here, let me give you some advice. If you're sitting at a red light and you're going to want to turn onto Petrovitsky from old Petrovitsky Road and that light turns green, you give it about three heartbeats. Because I cannot tell you, it happened to me the other day. I'm sitting there, the light turns green, I'm just getting ready to go, and a truck who's thinking, I'm going to beat that light and probably sped up to 50 miles an hour, zooms in front of me through the red. Yeah, and that's happened. I can't tell you how many times it's happened. Another... Uh, intersection that we have like that is if you get off of Highway 18 at Maple Valley and you want to come into Renton and you want to make that left-hand turn and people get, trying to get home to Maple Valley after work are in a hurry and that light goes yellow and what do they do? They step on their gas pedals. And if you don't give that two or three beats, and I'm telling you from experience, you will get plowed as people try to, try to beat those lights. So there are rules and so forth that we rest upon and realities that we rest upon. Our faith, when we get in our cars and we drive, has a foundation, doesn't it? It's our experience. It's our trust in the rules of, uh, and laws of the road. It's our trust that other drivers are trained to some level of expertise, and we're not going to get wiped out. 
Um, when I was with World Vision, I'll never forget this. So, you know, that can get taken to an incredible extreme. Now, I don't know how much you guys prep you do before you start your car, right? Um, you know, some people, you know, now if I get in my car after my wife has driven it, I have to readjust everything because I, well, usually I can't get in my car after my wife has driven it because the seat is up against the steering wheel and I have to make that adjustment. But, you know, we you know, look at our mirrors and we adjust and whatever and we fire it up at seatbelt on and off we go. Well, I remember when I worked for World Vision, uh, we used to do uh, events all over the country. And we would, you know, give people the opportunity to, Toby was my great partner in those days and we would... Uh, have corporations and um, businesses and whatever build these kits. We did it here at church for volunteer caregivers that were caring for people in Africa with AIDS. And then that uh, split into backpacks for children and all kinds of things. And I got a call from the chaplain at um, uh, Joint Base Lewis McCord. And he said, we really want the soldiers and the airmen to be able to do something special, I think it was around the holidays, and he said, so we've raised some money and we want to build some backpacks for local kids in our community down here that don't have the financial means for school supplies. So I was like, oh man, that's great. So he says, well, I'd like you guys to come down and meet with us and talk through the logistics and how it'll work and da 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 so can we meet, you know, Wednesday. It's like, yeah, I'll be down there. So I had a partner uh, at the World Vision Warehouse, which is in Fife, and uh, I want to bring him down there because we were going to have to do logistics together. So he said, well, I've got the company truck, so we'll, let's ride down together. And I'm like, okay, I don't have to, you know, do gas and put in a thing to get reimbursed. For everything. Yeah, that's great. So uh, <laughs> I go, and the truck, so I, you know, we meet in the office, and I, and I go to climb in the truck, and he goes, oh, we have to do the checklist first. And I'm like, ha, and he goes, no, no, we have to do the checklist. And he pulls his clipboard. This is no lie. And he says, um, can you stand in front of the car? And I go, okay. He goes, Do the headlights work? Yeah, they're working. Okay. Um, is my right left turn signal working? Yeah. And he's checking this off as he asked me. My right turn signal working? Yeah, it's working. Can you go around back now? I'll go around the back of the truck. Turn signals, brake lights, da-da-da-da. Um, can you take this and just pop the tire pressure on the two front tires and to see what, the, I'm not joking, and see what the pressure is? He goes, I already checked the oil this morning, so we don't have to pop the hood. So I'm tire pressure, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's good. And, okay, we can go. And he puts his clipboard away. And I think, okay, you know, there's, uh, there's trust and there's trust, right? And that's, uh, that was an interesting level of trust before he began driving. But all of us, you know, that was something that was required of them because they were using the company vehicle. Um, but as, he, as we got in that truck to drive down... It was like, how do you think more elevated? After all that, my faith was that the truck was in good shape. Pretty elevated, right? Like, man, if they check the tires and they check the oil and they check the lights and the turn signals, every time they use this truck and then they've got to sign it and date it, this thing's in good shape. So that, you know, other than what would the other drivers do, that was a pretty relaxing drive down to, uh, down to Fort Lewis that day. My faith in the performance of that vehicle had a foundation, right? Faith without foundation is foolishness. Peter, when he wrote 2 Peter, 2 Peter is, by many scholars, recognized as Peter's last testament. And it was the last thing, obviously, that Peter wrote. Peter knew that the time for his dying was close by. He says, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside. 
as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So at some point, obviously, either in a private conversation, because it's really not captured in Scripture, um, in a private conversation or through divine revelation, Peter kind of knew that his time was nigh because Christ had revealed that to him. Um, when Grace and I were driving back, so we were just back from a long, we were gone six weeks, we were down in California, suffering for the Lord on the beaches of the central California coast. It was hard work. Um, actually said, go for a walk, you know, with the Lord. You know, I, I recommend the beach. We'll go walking on the beach. We did that every day. It was pretty awesome. And um, we were driving back home, and it's a long drive. It's, you know, two, pretty much two full days of driving from where we were. And I love podcasts. I love to listen to podcasts. So I had a podcast on. And there was a brand new po podcast called Deathbed Confessions. And I thought, you know, I'm D.B. Cooper, you know, or I'm, you know, I made, I made the Bigfoot prints in the woods. It was me. I was on the grassy knoll, you know. And so you know, what you'd like to think would be, obviously, somebody's making a deathbed confession. You know, they're going to, you know, this is it. They're going to tell you, the treasure is buried, you know, and then down they go. And then, the, you know, the History Channel makes, them, makes a series out of it, and the rest is history. But testimonies are, can be amazing foundations of faith. You guys realize, and man, I'll tell you what, man, I've never forgotten the weight of this, especially working with teenagers. I've been working with teenagers for 25 years at this church. My walk with Jesus and the consistency of that is evidence of faith to another, or should be. That should throw a little bolt of responsibility in all of us. And it, you don't have to be just a youth leader or a pastor or whatever. As a confessing Christian, our testimony, our walk with the Lord can be, should be, maybe, probably is, a confirming foundational truth for another individual. You know, I told Kevin when he was going through what he was going through with Cleo, and when Cleo was was suffering so, and, and we were losing her, and after we lost her, and Kevin would get up to speak, and I told him, I said, you know, dude, it's one thing when it's all unicorns and butterflies to get up and say God is good. It's another thing when you're in the lowest, most difficult part of your life, and you say God is good. Because that testimony carries so much more weight. It's true either way, but the weight of that, and I told him, I said, you're preaching and you're teaching on the goodness of God has never been more powerful than it is now. God leaves nothing empty. Amen? Even, even the loss of a precious spouse, God leaves nothing empty. And that becomes a foundation, a foundational witness for somebody's faith. It was for mine. It was for mine. So let's talk a little bit about Peter and the disciples. Um, there are a lot of prophets in our world. Amen? Amen? There are a lot of prophets in our world. Now, I'm not saying they're all, you know, there's also, what's a, what's a descriptor that you can put in front of that word sometimes? False prophet. There's a lot of false prophets in our world. There's a lot of charlatans. There's a lot of hucksters. That is not a new phenomenon. They have always been around. There are always there that are willing to, those that are willing to take advantage of the faith that others have. And if that faith is not well grounded, the danger that that faith will be taken somewhere 
odd or somewhere other than it should be grows exponentially. And that was what Peter was afraid of. And so what Peter was saying in this writing is he said, look, man, I'm not telling you stories. I'm not giving you secondhand reports. I am telling you what I heard. When God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased and who I love, I heard that voice. I walked with him. I saw everything he did. What I'm telling you is my firsthand experience. I'm not telling you stories. I'm not telling you fables. And Peter knew that the power of his testimony, having walked with Jesus, was going to have incredible weight. And he's basically saying, don't forget that. I'm reminding you of that, that the things that I have taught you and told you, I have taught you and told you firsthand. Now, Peter, knowing that his time on earth was going to be short, um, I don't know if Peter knew how he was going to leave this earth or not, but Peter was crucified. Anybody know how Peter was crucified? Upside down. down. Why? I'm not even worthy to die in the same manner that Jesus died. So if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. And that's what they did. So Peter died a very, very difficult death. Did Peter ever recant? Never. They wouldn't have killed him otherwise. Think about it. If Peter had recanted, so I'm one of those guys that crucified him, but Peter recants. I keep Peter alive because I want him to repeat that recant, not just to me, but to everybody else, because I want to kill this new faith. I'm not going to crucify him if he recants. I'm going to keep him around. He's my greatest asset as I begin to break down this untruth that I have exposed through this man's recantation, right? Peter didn't recant. Peter went to a gruesome martyr's death, consistent in what he said he saw and who Jesus was. Let me just, so what I did was I kind of looked this up. Every apostle save one died a martyr's death. And I don't do this for, you know, kicks or to be fantastic or whatever, but Nathaniel was skinned alive, and then he was crucified. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. It took him two days to die. And they said the entire two days that he hung on that cross, he exhorted passersby to believe in Jesus as he was hanging on that X-shaped cross. James was killed with swords. James the Lesser was thrown off of a high wall. Some say he was thrown off the top of the temple, but he was thrown off of a high wall. I'm going to leave John for a minute. Jude was beaten with clubs and then crucified. Matthew was staked to the ground and speared to death. Philip was hung by hooks in his ankles and hung upside down till he died. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Thomas was killed with spears. Now John was the only apostle that died a natural death after being boiled in oil and exiled to the island of Patmos where he died. Okay, lucky John, right? And for good measure, Matthias, who was the apostle that replaced Judas, um, was stoned and then crucified. James, the brother of Jesus, who became, who became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was thrown from a high place, didn't die, so they beat him to death. Paul was beheaded in Rome. Mark was dragged to death behind horses. And Luke was hanged from an olive tree. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> That's sobering. 
That's sobering. Every one of those men went to their death with their testimony intact. Every one. What Peter was alluding to was not just the testimony of his life, but the testimony of his death. And his testimony of death may have been stronger than his testimony of life. Amen? Who of us in this room, I, you know, when Annie asked me, she goes, what do you want to call your talk today? And I said, call it, I was only kidding. Because who of us, having pulled the wool over somebody's eyes um, and being now arrested and condemned or whatever, if we knew that we were faking it, if we knew that it was all a scam, if we knew that we had just pulled the fast one, which of us at the point that they were going to start driving the nails or beat or whatever would say, I was only kidding, because only a fool dies for a lie. Any of us would do that. I would do that. Yet every one of these men died a martyr's death and refused to recant. Now, one thing you notice about these deaths of these apostles, this wasn't like the way like Abraham Lincoln was killed or John F. Kennedy was killed. Lincoln's minding his own business, watching a play, and John Wilkes Booth sneaks up behind him and shoots him. Kennedy, minding his own business, driving in his limousine. He's, he's killed from, uh, by a sniper. This wasn't like a sudden, like, now you're here, now you're not. Every one of these deaths was incredibly premeditated. Every one of these deaths had a leading up to it where you know what they were seeking, what the authorities were seeking was a recantation. That's what they wanted. That's why some were beaten before they were crucified. That's why some were stoned before they were crucified because what they wanted was the recantation. And surely when we begin driving the nails and whatever, surely we'll get that. Well with, which one was it, uh, was on the X-shaped cross, Andrew, Andrew kept preaching from the cross. Faith without foundation is foolishness. Faith with foundation is firm. The lives and deaths of the apostles may be the greatest foundational truth that we have for our faith. Uh, I have a pastor that lives next door to me. And we go out for coffee. In fact, we, I just talked to him the other day. We're going to go out for coffee Tuesday morning. Um, and we talked about this topic. And we asked each other, what do you think that greatest foundational truth is? And I talked to him about, about the apostles. His was really interesting. I think I might have shared this with you guys before. But he said the greatest thing to him that the story of Jesus was true was that Jesus revealed himself to women before men. Because in that society, women held no authority. Women held no place. They couldn't own property. They couldn't own, you know. And so the, the fact, the, the truth of the gospel account to him, the, one of the, the firmest truths of that was the fact that Jesus, you know, revealed himself to women. Because if you're just going to make up a great story and try to pretend, pretend you're a risen Messiah, that's probably not who you're going to reveal yourself to. Because who's going to listen to him? Who's going to believe him? And yet, um, that's what Jesus did. That was his foundational truth, and I think that's actually pretty awesome. Now, I remember being a young Christian and hearing the stories about how the disciples died. And again, in my immaturity of my faith, I thought, well, that's not fair. 
I mean, here are these guys, you know, they gave it all up. They walked away from their boats and their tax booths and all the things that they had. And they followed Jesus and they died these horrific, horrible deaths. They did, but here I am all these thousands of years afterwards talking about the truth of who they are and who they were, right? Foundation of our faith. Paul, or, uh, Peter knew, all the disciples knew, there was going to be uh, deceivers. There were deceivers in their day that were trying to you know, turn the faithful away. Um, we sometimes do ourselves a disservice in the church when we discount our intellect. Um, when we have questions about our faith, when we may even have doubts about our faith, I have doubts all the time. I have questions all the time. The issue is, what do we do with those? If we're created, if our DNA is the DNA of God, we are a curious species, aren't we? We are incredibly curious. We don't let anything sit. we got to know everything. God created, I think, implanted in us this desire to know, this desire to uncover. Doubt and questions are not a sign of a lack of faith. When you lay those doubts and questions before the throne of God and seek to know the truth and pursue that truth with your curiosity and your intellect, you are honoring God. You are honoring who God has made you to be. And I think, frankly, in the church, we've done a great disservice to individuals, and we almost encourage people to not think deeply. I talk to young people all the time about this. And I had a young person tell me that all these questions and doubts and things that don't seem to make sense, well, I'll just put it on this shelf. I don't want to have a lack of faith. I'll just put it on this shelf. I'll just put it on this shelf. And he said, you know what happened one day? My shelf crashed. Couldn't handle any more of it. And I had to dig through the wreckage of those questions and doubts to try to rediscover and find my faith. We do a disservice when we discourage that. It is not a lack of faith. God's a big boy. He can take it. He can take it. And if he, and if he can't, who is he, right? God can take our questions. God can take our doubts if we pursue them with a purity of heart. That's how we find a deeper relationship with him. Exactly what Ashley was talking about. The minute we stand still, we're done. Because God doesn't stand still. The minute we think we have it all figured out, and our faith, and our Christian walk, and who God is, and who I am as God, is all tied up in a bow and I'm done, we're cooked. That's when we're cooked. We have got to pursue God. Jesus is moving, and we've got to pursue him. But we pursue him on a basis, a foundation of our faith. And these men and Peter's story is that foundation. That story is what keeps us from being fooled by those that would take us this way or that way. Um, man, just watch TV. You want to see some guys trying to sell you something or whatever? And yeah, who are the hucksters? Who are the charlatans? We have the ability to build a firm foundation of faith that protects us from those things and protects those around us from those things if we pursue that knowledge. Amen? Amen, amen. 
Hey, I want to, um, let me just say this. I had one more note written in here, and I think it is important to say this, that there are um, two really cool stories in the Bible to look at next to each other. One is the story of Thomas. Now, Thomas gets a bad rap. I'm sorry. If it was me and I walked in the upper room and said, Jesus was here, and I, you know, I don't know. Would I believe it? Wow. He says, well, you know, I'll believe it when I can touch the, the nails and put my hand on his side. And, you know, we look at Thomas like, oh, Thomas, lack of faith. Let's be honest, man. We all might be just like Thomas. Who knows? But Jesus appeared, and he goes to Thomas, and he says, touch my hands, touch my side. What does Thomas say to him? My Lord and my God. One of the greatest statements of faith. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And then, Tom, and then Jesus says to him, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they still believe. Who's he talking about? He's talking about us. That story of Thomas where, and, and again, Thomas was one of those guys that walked with Jesus, and Thomas was martyred for his faith. Now you look at somebody like Stephen, another famous martyr in the Bible. Now we don't know if Stephen had any interaction with Jesus. He might have. When Jesus was in Jerusalem, Stephen might have known. He might have caught a word or two or whatever, but Stephen wasn't a disciple. Stephen didn't walk with Jesus. When Stephen was martyred, Stephen was martyred for his faith, what he believed. The gospel message was preached to Stephen. He believed it, and he was martyred for that. Think about this. Stephen was martyred for what he believed. Thomas was martyred for what he knew. For what he knew. And frankly, it's easier to be martyred, easier to be a martyr for what you believe than it is for what you know. Thomas knew whether that was true or not. He knew. And he went to a martyr's death. Stephen believed with all his heart. And Stephen was martyred. To kind of, in my usual fashion, to kind of hammer home what I've been talking about, I wrote a little story to kind of illustrate this. And so as we close today, I just want to share this with you guys. And um, hopefully this will mean something to you. The name of the story is, I was only kidding. I was only kidding. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. 2 Peter 1.16 I was only kidding. Hucksters, they are all around us, spinning crazy yarns. Some are kind of interesting and not without their charms. Peddling exercise equipment, special sheets and towels, Supplements for everything from back complaints to bowels. We see them on our TV screens, on Facebook, Instagram, invading what we look at, hear, and carry in our hands. Even faith is treated as a prime commodity, sold by those whose motives are not always plain to see. Yet this rank phenomenon is not unique to us. Ages past had those who sought to co-opt faith and trust. So let's dive a little deeper, step a bit into the fray, and see in the New Testament what Peter has to say. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, he makes it clear that he is testifying what he's seen. 
He has no truck with fables, met the fool, the weak, and witless. For he tells tales of Jesus as a bona fide eyewitness. Peter walked with Jesus, heard his teaching, shared his meals, witnessed all the miracles, saw countless people healed. Cana at the wedding feast, the water and the wine, and went on fish and barley loaves, 5,000 people dined. At the Jordan River, Jesus' baptism was done, and Peter heard the Lord say, This is my beloved son. Peter in the boat, when Jesus calmed a raging squall, and when Jesus walked on water, it was Peter that he called. The upper room, Gethsemane, arrest, desertion, trial. The fateful rooster crowing, punctuating a denial. Crucifixion. Darkness, failure, desolation, doom. And then the race with John that ended at an empty tomb. All these faithful moments, Peter lived and moved through each, including being reconciled with Jesus on a beach. So, when Peter spoke of Jesus, it wasn't simply his opinion, but what he'd seen, experienced, firsthand was his dominion. Now, let's leave our story there a minute, pause and now return to charlatans and hucksters and see what we can learn. Let's say that I'm a huckster, double dealer, a flim-flam man. Tony, I know it's hard to picture, but do the best you can. <laughs> I've sold you a bill of goods, a master con, a stinker. You and many others swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. And if a miracle or two would bolster my appeal, I'm capable of faking that if it will seal the deal. Let's say now I pulled it off. My scheme is quite legit. Even though I know it's nothing but a load of, well, you know. I'm riding high. I'm living large. The suckers bought the farm. Oops. When suddenly the pressure's on and things get kind of warm. It seems that the authorities have no appreciation for my creativity or its application. You're a fake, a phony, they indignantly attest, and leading to a warrant and resulting in arrest. The jig is up. They're on to me. The justice bells are clanging. Sure shooting, they declare. Let's have ourselves a hanging. I think it's time to look at options whip up and produce a strategy to play this out and dodge the hangman's noose. Now, if I recant, reveal, confess, they'll likely spare my life, use me to expose the fraud, cut it like a knife. Mom didn't raise an idiot. I'm not about to die for something I know good and well is nothing but a lie. So when the rubber meets the road and the hangman's noose there fitting, I loudly lift my voice and shout, Hey guys, I was only kidding. Now this is not off track. I think we all would do the same. Refuse to die for something that we knew was just a game. This is what makes Peter's tale and that of the disciples so doubtlessly believable, unequaled, and unrivaled. For they would know for certain if deceit had been induced in Jesus' ministry and all the miracles produced. 
You'd have to be a moron to go down the martyr's path when you knew the aim was simply power, fame, or laughs. Yet every last disciple, with their final tortured breath, would not recant or disavow and died a martyr's death. Now, they didn't die for faith or trust in search of what was true. These men are set apart because they died for what they knew. So, if your quest for truth requires an anchor and a chain, just look to the disciples who gave all in Jesus' name. Faith and foundation equals firmness. Faith without foundation is foolishness. Amen? Amen. One of the greatest foundational truths that we have available to us were the testimony of these men who knew if Jesus pulled a fast one at the feeding of the 5,000, if that guy that got lowered through the roof and got up and picked up his bed and walked was somebody they hired to come in and do that, if the demon-possessed people were paid off ahead of time, they would have known. And who's going to die for a lie? Only a fool. Not one of them recanted. To me, that's a foundation of their testimony that I can build my faith on. And then I turn around and realize that the foundation of my testimony, who I say I am in Christ, is, can be seen, may be seen, as a foundational truth in someone else's life. And I want to take that responsibility really seriously. Amen? So let's be who God created us to be. Let's walk in truth. Let's walk in consistency, right? Let's be that testimony. Let's be aware of that. Let's live our lives with our eyes wide open and our heads up, knowing that the world is looking, the world is watching. And we have the privilege of being Jesus in a, in a dark place. What a privilege that is. So, Lord, I'm going to pray us out of here with just an exhortation that... Uh, God, you have offered us so many truths, so many evidences of who you are. All we have to do is walk out of this door and look at the beauty that you've created all around us and the people that you've put into our lives and the circumstances. And uh, God, we just, we, we take all those things. Just I think about what Mary, the story of Mary, that all these wonderful things happened when she was pregnant with Jesus. And it said, and Mary stored up these things in her heart. God, may we be good at storing up things in our heart the evidences of who you are in the same way that the Israelites, when you would do something fantastic, they would gather together stones and they would build a tower because generations later, people could say, this is where God showed himself. This is where God was mighty. This is where God was faithful. God, may we build those monuments in our own lives, not, our own, not monuments of our own pathetic attempts or whatever, but monuments of your faithfulness. And uh, God, may they always be reminders that they are the foundational truths of the faith that we have in you. We want to be firm. We don't want to be fools. So Lord, let us look for those foundational truths, incorporate them, use our intellect, use our ability to think, use our curiosity, those attributes that you have imbued in us. Let, those, let us offer those back to you so you can reveal yourself even more fully to us. What a challenge. That is the difference between walking in maturity with you and being that 
that babe that just, you know, is sucking on a bottle that Paul talks about in Corinthians. We don't want to be that. We want to be growing. We want to be mature women and women in our faith. So God, equip us to be that. Let us be exhorters of each other in that path. Bless Judy as she leads her class in, in spiritual warfare, another opportunity to add to uh, our knowledge and our wisdom and who you are. And God, just let us even our, uh, open our minds, as Ashley said, renew our minds. Do whatever, <laughs> whether it's surgery or a jackhammer, whatever it takes, to get out of your way the things that we've put in your way uh, to make yourself more real to us. So God, we just ask you to bless Heather and Pastor Kevin and the rest of their trip, their journey home. Look forward to seeing them next week. Thank you for all the wonderful saints in this place. God, may we go out of this place and shine your light. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody, have a great Sunday.